Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Let's back up a couple of chapters. You want to peruse with me in chapter 19? In chapter 19, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people began to praise him, and the religious people, they said, Jesus stopped them, and Jesus said, if I do what he say, saints, the rocks will cry out. And when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and instead of seeing a place of prayer and praise, He saw a place of praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, and paying as people were taking advantage of other people. And he made a whip, and he drove out the money changers and turned over tables. And it was at that time that Jesus said, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Well, then in chapter 20, the religious leaders, they began to question Jesus' authority. And they said, what gives him the right to be able to come into the temple and to take authority by turning over the money changers and driving people out? And then right about chapter 20 and verse 27, the scribes begin to question Jesus about the resurrection, which brings us to chapter 21. Were you with me last time in chapter 21? Just by show of hands, were you with me? Last time, okay, maybe few many of you were not. Um, you might want to pick up the CD of chapter 21, as we covered actually the first 11 verses. But there in chapter 21, Jesus tells us the story of a poor widow woman who uh, put in all that she had in the offering. And we learn from that story that God doesn't care about the size of your gift, but the sacrifice of your gift. Were you with me? And after Jesus watched the poor woman put in her might, he begins to leave the temple. And it's quite dramatic, the story is. As he begins to leave the temple, he turns around and he prophesies of the destruction of Jerusalem. The disciples, they didn't understand because they were impressed with the beauty of the temple. And so they asked Jesus what would be the sign of these things. And right about verse 11 in chapter 21, go ahead and look at it, verse 10 and 11 They asked what will be the sign of these things. And in verse 10, Jesus said, Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. I've titled this sermon, if you're taking notes, Ready for His Return. Luke chapter 21, we pick up in verse 12. Saints, if you're looking at it, say amen. amen. But after all these things... They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion or an opportunity 
for what, saints? Testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By patience, possess your soul. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. In verses 12 through 19, what we have is a parenthesis, if you will, that's only found in the Gospel of Luke. This parenthesis is talking about the persecution and the trouble that will come upon Jerusalem prior to the invasion on the city in AD 70. Jesus has given them some pointers on how to face that persecution. Now, first of all, let's establish this. If you've been a Christian for more than a week, you know that you, as a Christian, you will face persecution. Everybody know that. You will face persecution. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how spiritual you think you are. You will face persecution. There's so many verses in the Bible, we don't have time to go over them all today, but... There's so many verses in the Bible concerning the suffering and the persecution of the believers, uh, particularly, I think, of Matthew chapter 5. I have it for you on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, in verse 10 and 11. And as a matter of fact, why don't we read it together? Would you mind? Blessed are those, everybody, let's read it together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, And speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Also in John, if you're taking notes, in John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. That we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 1 Peter 4.16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, this is actually a very familiar one. It says, yes, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, were you here on Wednesday night for our communion service? It was just beautiful. The presence of the Lord met us here. Am I right about it? And it was packed. So many people were here. And we were talking about Wednesday night. We were talking about the promises of God. But it's interesting that you never see this promise of God in one of those promise books. You know, yea, that all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. We all get those little promise books, don't we? Sometimes you get them for Christmas gifts. You don't know where they are right now. 
And, and, and you get them in the little gift box. You ever see the little box? And it's got all the little cards in it with all the promises of God, and you put it on the back of your toilet. I don't know why. I mean, I'm serious. I've been to some of y'all house. I know you got them. They're on the back of your toilet. And it's really interesting because if you if you page through those, those cards, you never see this one as a promise. Yes, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is not one of those promises that we like to embrace. We don't say, yes, all those who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. I claim that promise. <laughs> Nobody does that, do they? But it is a promise in the Bible. Now, Jesus said, when you are brought before kings and rulers, in verse 13, saints, go ahead and look at it. When you are brought before kings and rulers, it's going to be an opportunity to witness. Now, as you study the book of Acts, over and over, they were persecuted and brought before kings and authorities and given opportunities to witness. You know, I think of First Peter on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, they were filled. You know the story. It's in Acts chapter 2, don't you? And on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues. And people were accusing them of being drunk. And Peter said, we're not drunk. It's only the third hour or nine o'clock in the morning. Peter's saying, listen, there's no way we're drunk. It's too early. Now catch us around 12. But he's saying it's too early. And then in Acts chapter 3, you know, Peter preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 got saved. Acts chapter 4, Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin and the Supreme Court. And they ask Peter and John, by what power or by what name do you do these things? And in Acts 4, 8, I love it. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches one of the most powerful sermons that you can read in the New Testament. We fast forward to Acts chapter 7. And Stephen had been judged and sentenced to stoning. And Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing to receive him into heaven. And when Stephen said that, They stopped up their ears and they took stones and they stoned him. Acts chapter 24, Paul preaching before Felix. Acts chapter 26, Paul standing before Agrippa, giving an awesome testimony. And Governor Felix is there and Bernice is there. And after giving his testimony and talking about the law and the prophets, Paul says, and I love Paul, you ought to read Paul's letters. And Paul was great at sharing his faith. And Paul was very persuasive. There, as he's standing before King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you believe in the prophets. And King Agrippa said to Paul, the saddest eight words to ever grace the pages of the Bible. King Agrippa said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Paul says, I wish you and everybody here would be a Christian. In the first three centuries of the church, the church was under severe and heavy persecution. We know from the Fox's Book of Martyrs, the great book to have in your library to peruse through. It's not really an easy read, but it is a good book to have. The Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it tells the story of Caesar Nero, who was riding naked in his garden. And as he rode through his palace gardens, he had lit up as torches the bodies of Christians 
After they had been dipped in wax and lighted as Caesar is screaming at the top of his lungs, you said you were the light of the world and be the light of the world. Don't you remember when Jesus told the, told the disciples, he said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. And Caesar says he likes Christians. He you know, places them within his garden. And we're talking about 100 acres. And he lights them on fire and he says, you said you were the light of the world, then be the light of the world. It is said that six million Christians were killed in the early waves of persecution. Listen, guys, this is not a fairy tale. This is six million of our brothers and sisters were crucified upside down, burned at the stake, dipped in hot wax, thrown to the lions, torn on racks, run through with swords, cut in half. People watched as a spectator sport. Somebody once said that the blood of Christians is the seed of the church. I like that. The blood of Christians is a seed of the church. Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted for my name's sake, but it will become an opportunity for you to witness. Now, I realize that talking, listen, look at me. I realize that talking to people in the U.S. about persecution is very difficult because we don't know anything about persecution. We think we're being persecuted if we, you know, if the microwave's broke. Or we, you know, I'm suffering persecution, the microwave's broke, and we got to shop and pick up the kids and get ready for a Super Bowl party, and we got box seats and all this stuff got to take care of, and we're being persecuted. Oh, shut up. That's not persecution. We don't know anything about persecution. I mean, think about it. Right now, today, we can sing, we can clap our hands. That's why I don't understand why Christians don't. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And that's why I really... I don't understand why Christians don't take advantage of this awesome blessing that God has given to us that we are able to lift our hands and praise the Lord. We're able to sing as loud as our voices can possibly sing. Now, some of y'all don't sing too loud because you're distracting the folk in front of you. But we can sing and we can praise the Lord and we can give thanks to the Lord. And we don't have to worry about people coming through the doors to take us out and to shoot us or kill our kids or kill our wives and children. We have this privilege and honor to worship God and we don't. And yet you can go to countries where it is illegal to praise and to worship God and they do. We've got freedoms in this country that we don't take advantage of. Jesus says you're going to be persecuted for my namesake, but it will become an opportunity for your witness. Listen to this story. I've read it before. I've read it before. I've read it many times here at Calvary Chapel, but I love to read this story because I just love this story. It's the story of Polycarp. Polycarp is a pastor in the church of Smyrna in in A.D. 61, 161, pardon me. And tradition tells us that he was murdered under the reign of Marcus Aurelius. Here's the story. The crowds of Smyrna were at the public games and they began to chant, away with the atheists, away with the atheists, let Polycarp be searched for. Christians in those days were known as atheists because they refused to worship Caesar. Well, the night before, tradition tells us that Polycarp had a dream in which he saw himself on a burning pillow. He went to the people in his church and he told them that God had revealed to him that he must be burned alive for his faith. Well, the next day, as the Romans came to arrest Polycarp, he had a meal provided for them and told his disciples that they were to serve the men who had taken him to his death. Well, tradition again states that as he entered the arena, a voice came from heaven and said, Be strong, Polycarp, 
and play the man. In the arena, the magistrates gave him a choice. Either curse the name of Christ and sacrifice to Caesar or be put to death. In his response, he said, 86 years have I served him and he has never done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Well, again, the magistrates threatened him and said, unless he cursed the name of Christ and sacrificed to Caesar, he will be burned at the stake. His response, you threaten me with, with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, but not as hot as the fire that you shall experience in judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why, what are you waiting for? Come, do what you will. Well, the townspeople brought burning embers to set Polycarp on fire. The Jews were so antagonistic that even though it was a Sabbath day, they carried the wood to the arena to fuel the fire to burn Polycarp. As they were getting ready to bind him to the stake, he told them, leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved. Even without the security, you will give with the ropes. Well, they did not bind him. And as the fire kindled, Polycarp prayed. I thank you, Lord, that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I might receive a portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ. And after he prayed, he gave thanks to God, and they set the wood ablaze. A great wall of flame shot up to the sky, but it never touched Polycarp. God had set a hedge of protection between him and the fire. Seeing that he would not burn, the executioner in a furious rage stabbed the old man with a long spear. Immediately, streams of blood gushed from his body and seemed to extinguish the fire. When this happened, witnesses say they saw a dove fly up from the smoke into heaven. At that very same moment, a church leader in Rome named Irenaeus said he had heard God say to him, Polycarp is dead. God called his servant home, and many people gave their lives to Christ because of the faithful testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, your persecution will be an opportunity for witness. And I was reading this recent report. Listen to this. International statistics show that an estimated 150,000 Christians are martyred every year. We're talking in 2011 now. 150,000 Christians, your brothers and sisters, are martyred every year. More than 200 million Christians are restricted from living out their Christianity. There is a growing onslaught on Christianity worldwide. More and more countries are accepting legislation that makes it more and more difficult for Christians to live out their faith and restricts them from gathering freely. This is true of China, Russia, countries in the Middle East, even Europe. There are also continuous efforts to ban the Bible. One of the fiercest persecutions against the church took place in Russia in the 20th century. It started with the doctrines of Karl Marx. Did you know Karl Marx was a German Jew who initially embraced Christianity, but later became an, uh, a Satanist. His disciple, Lenin, and we're not talking about John Lenin, we're talking about Vladimir Lenin. At the age of 16, he tore his cross off his neck and spat on the ground and trampled on it. When communism was established in Russia, the Soviets immediately started to persecute the Christians, and thousands of Christians were persecuted. There's there's still persecution of Christians in the world today. China, Laos, Cuba, 
Indonesia, Pakistan, Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Africa, especially in Nigeria and Sudan, India. And honestly, saints, listen, I believe that persecution is coming to the U.S., I really believe that. Have you noticed it's becoming more and more difficult to talk about the name of Christ? Have you noticed it's becoming more and more difficult, even on your lunch break, to read your Bible? What what are you reading? Well, I'm reading my Bible. Well, uh, you know, uh, there's something else you can read. They don't want you to read the Bible at work anymore. I've heard stories like this. It's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian here in the U.S. And I said that to say all of this. Listen, It is, and I'll tell you something, true Christianity is not for wimps. Did you hear me? True Christianity is not for wimps. And and, and people died. Here's what we need to understand. People died so that I could stand here and preach the gospel to you. People died so that you can come in this building freely, get out of the car, carry your Bible in your hand, walk in this building, sit down and hear the word. People died for that. I've watched people come to church and been in places in India where it was illegal to be a Christian, where you couldn't carry your Bible. People had to hide their Bibles in bags of rice. And they would walk into church holding a a bag of rice. And then they would sit down and reach into the bag of rice and pull out their Bible because it was illegal to be a Christian. You couldn't just walk around carrying your Bible. And I tell you something, because people died so that we might live and be able to share the gospel, people die so that you can come in here and listen to the gospel preach. I will tell you this. It is an honor to be a Christian man. Is that the best clapping y'all can do? It is an honor to be a Christian man, and it is an honor to be a Christian woman. And when you are called a Christian, listen, people expect you to act like one. So many weeks ago, we were talking about clarity or lack thereof among Christians or people who say they're Christians, but they live, they say one thing and live another way. We need clarity in our lives. If you're going to be a Christian, then act like a Christian. If you're a Christian man, then respect Christian women. Christian women, nowadays you got to say this. If you're a Christian woman, respect Christian men. My, 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 how times have changed. If you're a Christian businessman, then, then people are expecting you to be honest in business. If you're a Christian and, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're banking, listen, don't bounce checks. Is that incredible? I mean, you're a Christian. You got the Christian fish and, oh, how I love Jesus on your, on your checks. And they bounce. That's why I don't put a bumper sticker on my car. I have no bumper sticker, no Christian bumper sticker. Like, oh, how I love Jesus. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. You know that one. Um, some of y'all got that on your car right now. No, we know you're not perfect. That much we know. You ain't perfect. Or, you know, Jesus is a friend of mine. We got all these bumper stickers. I have no bumper stickers on my car. And the reason is because I don't want to be a bad witness. Because if you cut me off on the 440, I will chase you down. I'm just keeping it real. I will chase you down. I might follow you home. I'll pull up in your parking lot. 
So you remember back there about eight miles ago, you cut me off. Now you're going to have to make me hurt you. But I love Jesus, but I got to hurt you. Or, you know, I don't like to, I don't bumper stickers on my car because if I chase you down, you know, when you chase somebody down, they cut you off, you chase them, and then you get right up next to them, and then you give them the look. I don't want to be a bad witness. We don't need to be a bad witness. We need to be good witnesses of Jesus Christ. Where are my people at? We need to be good witnesses of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them in verse 14, we got to move on. Look at verse 14. He told them, don't worry about what they will say when they are taken captive. I'm sure that many of these Christians were thinking of these words uh, when they were taken captive. In verse 15, Jesus said, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom and what to speak. In other words, don't worry about hiring a dream team. When you face legal judgment for being a Christian, God will give you what to say. God says, I'm going to give you the grace you need in the moment you need it. Isn't that just like God? God gives to us, listen, this is how God works. Often, God will give to you what you need in the moment you need it and not before. So you're praying, Lord, I need finances here. And God provides those finances. How many has that ever happened to? It's like right on time. Somebody once said that God's never late and, and, and he's always right on time. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. Isn't that right? God will give you what you need in the moment that you need it. I think of Luke chapter 12 in verse 11 and 12 when they, Jesus said, when they bring you before the judge, don't take thought what you should say for the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. So many of you know that when I became a Christian, y'all know I was just a little bit radical. Okay, a lot radical. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.